Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Compound and Friends. On tonight's show, we talk to Zeke Fox. Zeke is a Bloomberg reporter. He investigates financial frauds. And over the past couple of years, he has been around the world, hanging out in the Bahamas with Sam Bankman-Fried, busting Chinese gangsters in Cambodia who are, I guess, selling women for tether. I don't know. This is one of the craziest financial books to have come out in a long time. It's actually coming out this week. Uh, Zeke is one hell of a reporter. This guy is fearless and he is funny. And we had such a great time talking about Number Go Up, which is the name of the book. And you will definitely be hearing more about that. Uh, And then we did an all new episode of What Are Your Thoughts? Michael Batnick and I tackling the biggest mystery on Wall Street. You'll have to listen to hear what that is. I think we had some decent solutions or answers to the mystery, but we'll let you be the judge of that. We talked about where the hell is this recession already? We talked about, uh, let's say, leveraged loans. We got into WTI crude rallying to a 10-month high. Uh, Oil is now $90 plus a barrel. Uh, Gasoline at the pump is going up. Will that lead to the next recession? Is that going to be the trigger? Maybe we have some answers on that as well. We also talked about uh, really uh, earnings and just anything that matters right now. The latest IPOs, ARM came out last week. This week we had Instacart. So you'll have a great time with us on what are your thoughts. And as always, we appreciate any ratings, reviews that you leave on the podcast platform of your choice. Okay, thanks for listening. Have some fun and we will talk to you soon. to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to a special edition of Compound and Friends with Zeke Fox. All right, wow. Zeke, I'm going to I'm going to do a quick intro. We're so excited to have you on the show. You broke me out of my bear market. We're going to talk about your book in a second. Number go up. Zeke, for those of you who don't know, Zeke Fox is an investigative reporter for Bloomberg Businessweek and Bloomberg News and a national fellow at New America. He's a winner of the Gerald Loeb Award and the American Bar Association's Silver Gavel Award. He's also the author of Number Go Up. The compelling account of the crypto delusion and how Sam Bankman freed and a cast of fellow hustlers turned virtual coins into trillions of dollars. Zeke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I just noticed it's kind of, I don't know if this is ironic or what, but Currency, Crown Currency is a, is a publisher of this book? I think they might have done that just for me. Okay. I don't even know. Yeah. Is there a token attached to this? I, I'm too late. <laughs> I'm too late. Like, I, I should have... Uh... I should have I should have done that as part of the reporting. I had some right. ideas, but I missed my chance. So before we get into all of this, I want to give the, the audience know that I am at least crypto curious. I believe in a lot of its promise, which has yet to unfold. So because we're gonna we're gonna talk about the bad part of it, and there's a lot of bad. But just don't shoot the messenger. Email Zeke if you hate him. Just kidding. <laughs> um, all right. So we've come a long way from the Bitcoin white paper, huh? Yeah. Well. 
We better have because it's been it's been 14 years. <laughs> so, all right, l- l- I want to start with this: a quote from Michael Saylor, and the book is about man. It's about so many things, crypto, but I would say mostly about the shady characters. And there are a lot to choose from. You profiled a few of the biggest ones. Uh, I'm going to start with this quote from Michael Saylor, and this is an actual quote. Lest anyone think that I'm just making up words, Bitcoin is Bitcoin is a swarm of cyber hornets serving the goddess of wisdom, feeding the fire of truth, exponentially growing even smarter, faster, and stronger behind the wall of encrypted energy. Whoa. So I'll turn the mic over to you in just a second, Zeke. But you you use this line in the book, um, and I feel like this is a great way to distill your experience with crypto as somebody who is reporting on it, who is a skeptic, a non-believer for for reasons that we'll get into, um, what's called the the bullshit asymmetry principle, which you you wrote in the book, which is basically the amount of energy needed to refute bullshit is an order of magnitude bigger than than to produce it, and when the number is going up, it's difficult. So, sum up the last three years in two minutes of your life. <laughs> I mean, I had this idea that. They're, they're great at playing this, have it, telling you this story that crypto is about to go legit. Mainstream adoption is right around the corner. And right as the beginning of this journey, two years ago, I fly down to Miami. I'm at Bitcoin 2021. And I start hearing people say all sorts of crazy stuff like that Michael Saylor guy. I mean, that was the conference. There was a guy on stage in a white suit yelling like, bleep, Elon, bleep, Elon. Like, And I, I'm like, I met all these guys who are just... Their business plans made no sense. They seemed like total scammers. And then I'd ask them, like, oh, how much money do you manage? And they'd be like, $10 billion, $20 billion. (laughs) And I was like, I hadn't really wanted to write about crypto. I went back to my editor once I got in New York, and I I told him, we could be investigating this for years. It's full of crazy guys, the kind of guys I love to profile. They all actually love talking and saying crazy stuff. They'll hang out with me. And they're all like, so many of them are up to no good. And cut to like two years later, I'm investigating crypto-fueled human trafficking in Cambodia. And I'm at Sam Bankman-Fried's penthouse in the Bahamas just before uh, the cops got there. Um, so it was like a an adventure that I don't think I will ever match. Uh, but I'm glad I was there to see it. Because I don't see there ever being a bubble like this again. Famous last words, but... Hey, hey, Zeke, you and I go back like 15 years. And when I was first starting to blog, a lot of what I was talking about were the scams. The Like in hindsight, they were tiny. We were talking about guys running boiler rooms and stealing like $30,000. So this and so when you say these are the kinds of guys I like to profile, I remember you writing all of these like really well-researched articles on like the boiler room guys. And that's how you and I originally met. And those, what those guys were doing was a joke compared to what you ran into in the last couple of years. You ran into stuff on the scale of billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions, uh, maybe a trillion in some cases. We'll see. Uh, that seems to me like to be the big difference. And my question is, how do you ever going go back to writing about traditional financial fraud ever again 
after the I, party that you've just witnessed uh, come to an end. It's almost like anything you cover for the rest of your life might be anticlimactic. I I I totally feel that way. I mean, when yeah, when we met, I had learned a lot about about these boiler room operators from from your book, uh, Backstage Wall Street, yeah. and you helped me understand their mindset. And I actually think you know some of these guys, like we're talking about like Jordan Belfort type guys, because yeah. that kind of uh, you know it it wasn't just in the '90s. They still kept uh, uh, trying it out, even though the returns got smaller and smaller. But yeah. some of these crypto founders were no better, but because crypto is such a great story and such a believable story, they could be like, this is the future of money. And instead of getting laughed out of the room, a lot of investors are like, great, I've heard so many stories about my friends getting rich on stuff like this. Where do I sign up? Here's yeah. 100 grand. So, yeah. Well, that's, like, an important, that's an important distinction. The guys who were doing small-time penny stock scams, nobody ever made money. Whereas with crypto, people made oceans of money. And so the premise when you were selling something crypto related to the public, like at least you could point to look at how rich everyone is. And that was yeah. true for like a very long period of time. People really did change their lives if they got in early enough. I don't think you could say that about any of the, the stock frauds. No, definitely. I mean, I can, I can think of people in my life who did very well on crypto because they got in early. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that everybody thinks they're the one who's going to be the, who's going to get in early and get out while the getting's good. Sure. And like, you're not, the odds are against you. You know, it's kind of, uh, uh, why do you have the inside info? The guy who started it is the one who got in early. The venture capitalists who got in at the beginning, they got in early. By the time you're hearing about it, it's probably kind of late. Zeke, you made a great distinction in the book about the difference between uh, scams in the blockchain versus like the Madoffs of the world. You said running a stock scam is a lot of work. It requires crooked lawyers, brokers, and bankers to draft reams of securities paperwork, even if all the information in them is false. And that leaves a paper trail that pretty much inevitably leads to the scammers getting busted. Crypto didn't require any of that. All it takes is some rudimentary programming, which can be done by freelancers hired online and some posts by a social media influencer. And you yourself, you yourself were almost, uh, unless you, you know, uh, Vicky or whoever her name was, didn't re realize that you were in on it, but you, you almost got scammed or attempted. Yeah, so, and uh, I like that quote that you read, because I know, like, from my years covering Wall Street, well, yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for reading my genius words. Um, I know some of these crooked lawyers, they made their whole career out of dra drafting these phony documents. And crypto would just put them out of work. Well, who cares yeah. about lawyers? Just throw out our coin. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the time that I almost got scammed, I you know, I was kind of playing along. But, you know, it's it, it started with one of these weird text messages that we all get. Hi, and Zeke. Yeah. Well, not hi. Mine was like, hey, David, uh, you know, how are you doing today? And... I decided to go along with it just to see what would happen. So I'm like, hey, I'm not David. I'm Zeke. And she's like, well, instead of uh, being mad, why can't we be friends? We started we started chatting. And I, I thought this might be a good way to investigate this kind of crypto scam. So I wanted to see where it went. And she tells me her name is Vicky Ho. She sends me, starts sending me pictures. She's like a sexy young Asian woman 
whose face has been like so face tuned. She looks like an anime character. Um, but I kind of liked having this new pen pal, even if I know it was fake. Um, but for days, she's just texting me all day. How's your day? Good morning. Oh, like you look so handsome. I'm like, where's the scam? Um, <laughs> Yeah. And ask, ask me for ask me for money already. Yeah, <laughs> before I she fall in love, <laughs> she starts dropping hints that she's good at crypto trading. She's got like this uncle who's taught her the secrets, and she yeah. starts sending me some price charts. And she's like, "Look, there's a great setup here. I'm going to trade this short term node." And then she sent me a screenshot that said, "Oh, I just made like 50 grand." And I'm like, "Okay, like, are you going to ask me to to play too? Like, when is this coming?" Finally, I had to tell her, Vicky, like. It's killing me. I, I need to have a Tesla. It costs 150 grand. I just wish there was some way that I could make a lot of money very fast. <laughs> Lucky and you. Then, uh, <laughs> finally, she's like, okay, download this app. And she has me download this fake crypto trading app called ZBXS. And it looks just like a regular crypto app. I mean, there's so much like random stuff in crypto. Anything sounds plausible, right, to somebody who's gullible. And she yeah. has me download a real crypto app um, and send her buy a hundred tethers, which is like a normal cryptocurrency, send them over to her address for the fake app. And then we're going to start trading. And this is a scam called pig butchering. It's called that because they like to like fatten you up before they take all your money. And they'll, they'll show you fake gains in the fake app. They'll even let you make withdrawals, but the whole mm. time they're sizing you up. They're like, how much can we take this guy for? Yeah. And once they've gotten you to send in everything they think they can get you for, they disappear. And people send in a hundred grand, five hundred grand. I mean, I talk to retirees, but also young people, smart people. They get uh I don't know, you text enough people, eventually you get one. So, so Zeke, I, 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 wait, wait. I I don't wanna sound like I don't wanna sound like an asshole, but it's gonna be impossible after Stop. I say what I'm about to say. How fing stupid do you have to be? Dude, I'm sorry. There's, That's my there's opinion. There's a lot of there's a lot of sophisticated scams out there. I this not this not sophisticated. This doesn't sound sophisticated. This is not that. I myself got scammed. I was on a Discord channel and it was an airdrop that got excited about it. I can't remember the details, but I lost a few grand. Mark Cuban today, he just said a hundred grand. Mark Cuban today lost nine hundred thousand uh, no. dollars. His meta his MetaMask wallet got yeah. This is today, and as fate would have it, Zeke, literally an hour ago. I got a call from an unrecognizable number and I was hoping a scammer and I'm only kidding, but it was a scammer. So I get a call. Is this Michael Batnick? Yes. There's like all this noise in the background and I'm like, who? Hello? Yeah. Hello? Who, is, who are you? She goes, I'm so-and-so from Coinbase. I'm like, oh my God. The uh -oh. guy's just smiling. I'm like, wait, from where? She's like, from Coinbase. I'm like, go on. And- I, I'm like, I can't hear you. Close What's your door. password? Yeah, basically. So anyway. Okay, so, oh, so sophisticated. She, she ended up, stop, stop, stop. She ended up hanging up on me, uh, unfortunately, because I couldn't find out what the scam was. But we're joking, but there's some really dark and sinister shit well, that goes on that you detailed in the book. Yeah, so this is kind of the twist. And it actually, it kind of goes with what Josh is saying. Yeah, this usually doesn't work. You got to text like, a million people before I you find the one numbers, who's like it's a numbers game. You know, yeah. the one whose like wife is dying of cancer and they're really they're really lonely and they're willing to to trust you. Um yeah. so the reason this works economically is that these scammers, the ones sending the messages, are themselves often victims. And they're people who uh they're often based in Cambodia or Myanmar. And 
the scams are run by Chinese gangsters. They post job ads. They lure people in with offers of high-paying jobs and customer service. People come from like all around the region, China, Taiwan, Vietnam. They'll, they'll come to Cambodia. When they're there, they're trapped. The boss is like, you're not leaving this building. We're going to be- beat you. We're going to torture you unless you run scams. And so that's what makes the numbers work. The people who are doing this are really low paid and can like scam, try to send sla- messages all day like long. They're, 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 they're slaves Literally. to yeah, somebody who's making them do this. And it, it sounds like, uh, honestly, it sounds like a conspiracy theory. Like when I heard it, I didn't really believe it. But there are like whole office parks, tower after tower, floor after floor, filled with people who can't leave. Uh, in the book, I went to one in Sihanoukville in Western Cambodia. And these towers, they're like modern office towers that were built with balconies. But the balconies, you can see that they originally had like a low glass wall. Now they have metal bars welded on them to prevent the workers from jumping out and escaping. Um, this particular area that I visited holds maybe five or 10,000 people. Um, one oh guy God. that I talked to, like a crypto expert, estimated that $10 billion have been lost uh, to these kinds of scams. And the UN actually just put out a report saying they estimate 200,000 people in Southeast Asia have been vic- trafficked and uh, been victimized in this way, mostly to Cambodia and Myanmar. So it's like a huge international issue. And um, the weird thing I found was that these scammers, um, in addition to selling you this crypto story, they always want the victims to send them crypto. They don't, like, Vicky didn't say, give me your visa number, even though that would have been a lot easier for me as the like gullible victim. She was went through this whole rigmarole, like download Coinbase or Crypto.com, buy some Tether. Because the crypto is, un- over is, untra- is untraceable in a way that a credit card transaction is traceable, you're saying? Right. Yes. Okay. So you can. So it's I facilitating. Can, it's facilitate. Even if crypto is completely legit, this is facilitating a type of fraud that, you know, the architects of these white papers maybe were not thinking about. Yeah. I mean, that's what I found again and again was that I they they hadn't thought about what was going on in the real world, what the consequences of this were. But criminals definitely find it super useful. And I, I, I even found it useful too. I was in, uh, when I was in, in Cambodia, I, I, a lot of the book I'm, I'm looking into this coin called Tether that, that, the, that Vicky Ho, the scammer, had me use. I, I'm bumping along the road from, on this bus from Ho Chi Minh City to Cambodia. I get across the border. I'm in this dusty casino town called Bavet that I've, is home to lots of these scam compounds. I've seen YouTube videos of, uh, uh, workers escaping from them. I've seen all sorts of... I mean, it's, it's a big issue in the local media. Like, it's no secret. I've read all yeah. about this place. And I get there. What do I see in the parking lot? For the a money exchange store that has right on their banner, like, we'll trade your tether coins for US dollars. Something I'd never seen anywhere else in the world. Um, and, like, doesn't prove anything. But it's like, this is a interesting coincidence. Well, Zeke, I uh, can hear, I can hear, I can hear pro crypto people yelling at the screen right now because it actually is traceable. Um, but the problem is that oftentimes it leads back to places like Binance and good yeah. luck getting any information out of them. 
Yeah, and all these com companies will say we comply with law enforcement requests. But I spoke with a veteran human trafficking investigator from Taiwan, um, and he was like, he had gone to Cambodia to rescue victims of the big fatty gang who'd been Taiwanese women who'd been trafficked to work on top of a mountain called Bokor Mountain. Um, and he said, uh, in, to work in these crypto scams. And he said that the, the criminals even bought and sold these women for Tether. And like, yes, in theory, you can trace things on the blockchain, but each it's sort of like a Swiss bank account. Each account is only associated with like a string of random letters and numbers. And this investigator was like, look, I've been doing, yeah, crypto didn't cause human trafficking. I've been investigating it for years. But when they used banks, at least I had some clues. What am I supposed to do with these like random string of numbers? You know, it makes it a lot harder for me. So Zeke, what you're doing, what you did takes a ton of balls going across the world to these shady places, confronting people literally face to face. And I, I remember when you wrote the paper on Tether, what was that two years ago at this point or something? Yeah. Like, these people know who you are. These are shady characters, to say the least. This one guy that you mentioned, uh, Giancarlo Devasini. He is, is he the CEO of Tether? He's like the boss. He's a CFO on paper. All right. So this guy uh, was an Italian. He's an Italian. He's not what he is an Italian, but he was a former plastic surgeon who somehow got into this. There's another guy at Tether, uh, Van Der Velde. This guy used to run a Chinese electronic exporter that claimed from the book, quote, if you dip a butt of a cigarette into Vitacool, when you smoke a cigarette, 80% of nicotine will be transformed into vitamins. I mean, these are some really crazy people. Yeah, right. seriously. That's... So, no, so, but doesn't that sound like Josh? Doesn't that sound like an old penny stock guy? It sounds. I could, I could write. That I could write that stock. pitch and and sell an eighty cent <laughs> stock. Wait. So here's my question: If you get into crypto as a profession, like you have to have your passport in working order because there's just a lot of international travel required for anyone oh, that's yeah. like involved in. Like these guys are like on the fucking lamb. Like, I mean, like even at the highest levels, that they they never in the same country. More than two articles in a row when they're being oh. reported on. What is the story well, with this? Doesn't um, anyone stay in one place anymore? Well, there's one place that, again, might just be a coincidence, but a lot of the top guys in crypto do not come to the United States. You haven't seen Binance's CZ here, who's like one of the biggest guys in crypto, facing all sorts of trouble with the U.S. authorities. Justin Sun from Tron is another like major player. Who you who you don't see him here, even though there are big conferences here. The guys and with three Giancarlo, arrows, three arrows guys, yeah, just like you know doing shrooms in Bali, but they don't come here. That was the hey, big we have a, one that blew up. We want to get into tether. Wait, so hang, you, hang on, hang on. Before we oh, get there, sorry. just just stick with this point of you confronting these people. So this guy, uh, the Italian guy, uh, you couldn't get a hold of him, but he sent you kind of a badass email. I must say his response. His reply to you was basically something, and I'm paraphrasing, but correct me if I'm wrong. You don't, uh, uh, bees don't try and convince flies that honey is sweeter than shit. Was that, did yes. I get that approximately right? Yes. Um, and <laughs> I really, I love that message. Um, That's pretty this good. This came after I, I flew to, I went to, to Switzerland to see his uh, partner's art show in hopes that she, he would show up. This was a big waste of a week. He didn't show up. Uh, then I went back for another week where Tether was hosting a conference. I had thought Giancarlo wouldn't come because he's kind of a mysterious guy, doesn't like to be seen by reporters. 
but I was able to finally see him there. Um, I did. I was glad I did because then I was able to write in the book that he looks like Gargamel, the bad wizard from Smurf. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so then I I said I sent him a message. I was like, Giancarlo, I know that like you probably don't want to talk to me, but look, I'm here. I want to hear your side of the story. I'm going to be at this bar. Um, come by if if you want to say hi, and we can we can t- and tell me your story. Uh, but he did not come. And he only sent me that message later while I was sleeping. And I would just say, um, you know, he's a weird former plastic surgeon who found himself like a crypto billionaire. He's he's not someone who I don't find these guys to be shady characters. I find them to be very funny. Um, and I just think it's like a great story how all of these uh, people who you wouldn't expect found themselves like overnight billionaires and like major players in this new well, it's crypto also it seems system. like ra- but it's there's like a random what's what's funny about it to me, uh, and I agree with you. Just because you made a lot of money in crypto doesn't mean that you yourself did something shady. But you had to have been willing to embrace the shadiness. To a, like if you own a ton of crypto at three hundred dollar Bitcoin, like you knew that you were embracing something that was very non traditional, and you did so in size and. So there's, you're definitely a quirky person, which is why we have so many colorful people as the crypto billionaires. Contrasted with, let's say, the steel magnates of 1885, like this crop of people is probably way more interesting. John McAfee was a great example yeah. of that type of person, right? He said yeah. he would eat his own something if something didn't happen. But anyway, <laughs> Zeke, you're, you're an incredible writer. Um, you wrote, as I thought more, just getting back to Tether, as I thought more about the giant volcano of crypto bullshit erupting at Crypto Bahamas, I realized that Tether was its molten core. Talk about Tether. For those, of, for those who don't know, what is Tether? How did it get so big? Why is that at the center of so much of this, this uh, de- deplorable behavior? So I say in the book, I mean, I think of a lot of crypto exchanges as basically being like offshore casinos. And Tether is kind of like the chips. It's like if all the casinos in Las Vegas, all the like poker rooms in Macau sent everyone to this one cashier to get their chips. And so a Tether tether token is always worth a dollar because it's supposed to be backed by real dollars in the bank. And when I set out to explore this, Tether had sold about 50 billion of these tokens and was supposed to have 50 billion corresponding dollars in the bank. And the idea is that whenever you, you get these tokens, you send real money to get them, and whenever you want the money back, Tether's supposed to have it and send it back to you. It's a money but, market token without the yield. Yeah, no yield, which becomes important later in the story. Um, and when I started out, it was this big mystery. Like Janet Yellen was calling meetings of all the top regulators to be like, "Does Tether really have this money?" And if because not, it was a so- lot of money in it, like yeah, it's, it's not small, so it better it better be backed by something because it's like otherwise. It's totally out of the reach of regulators, and they're not. They always say we're going to publish our audited financials, but they don't. So people rightly were sort of like, and they're looking at the guys behind it. You got Giancarlo, one of the founders, uh, Brock Pierce, is a kid from the Mighty Ducks. He plays uh, Gordon Bombay in the flashback at the beginning. One, two, three, triple D. (laughs) Yeah, so that makes perfect sense. (laughs) So I, I just this is what got me. This is what hooked me on the whole crypto thing. I'm like, wait. What, Gordon Janet Yellen, yes, uh, Janet Yellen's <laughs> having a meeting 
to talk about some coin dreamed up by a kid from the Mighty Ducks? Like, what has gone wrong with a financial system? Where, are, like, I actually... Well, what's, I don't understand what's not to like. You have Chinese gangsters. You have, you, you have plastic surgeons from Italy, Gargamel, the kid from Mighty Ducks. Like, I, wh- why is this so illegitimate to you? What is, the, what, is the, what is the problem with Tether from what you've discovered that our viewers should uh, understand? Or what is the, maybe like, what is the risk of it? So at first I was really focused on this risk that they would not have, if, they, if it was revealed there was problems with its backing, there could be like yeah. a run on Tether. Which Everybody we've seen. Everybody would dump their Tether. Yeah. Mm. Well, not exactly. They've always survived. Like they're the, they're. No, they're not with steady. Tether. Not, stop, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's important. What led to the crypto panic of 2022 that effectively wiped out the whole asset class was a stable coin blowing up. But it, it was different because Terra Luna, which Josh is describing, was, 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 a, was a stable coin that was backed by an algorithm. When that cracked, they couldn't recover. Tether but, on the Go ahead. No, but that's a good point. That was essentially the fear, like that something like that would happen to Tether and it would crash the whole crypto system, which seems like it was actually a pretty reasonable fear given what happened, even though Tether itself held strong. And so I was trying to figure out, like, where's this money? What's backing Tether? Um, I had a fun side trip to the Bahamas where I met the one bank that would say we were holding some of this money for Tether. It was run by the creator of Inspector Gadget, a charming Frenchman well, named Jean Chalapin. I don't, of do course. You, um, have you seen uh, Casino Royale? Of course. Yes. Uh, do you remember the scene when when Daniel Craig emerges from the ocean, like all glistening and and uh, in I front recreated of that scene last week in Huntington Beach. <laughs> Go on. You there's a shot of a house where the the bad guy's wife is looking at him like, hmm. Yeah. That is John, that was John's house. So okay. he's like a he's kind of like a Bond character himself. And I'm like, okay, this is tethered created by the Mighty Ducks guy. We got Inspector Gadget guy. He's the banker. Bullish. I later found that uh, that Tether had invested Bullish. a lot of its money. Um, they, they'd invested a lot of money in Chinese commercial paper, which as seemed, one does. Yeah, because at the time, well, you need stability, like so you know, commercial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, for stability. Yeah, yeah. So this whole time, I like, but that's a good. That's a good question. It's like, why aren't people cashing in their tethers? It seems like. Look, I mean, there, there's certainly some reason to be to to question it. And you got USDC over here, which is the other stablecoin, very similar product with which is U.S. regulated, and I think few could argue that oop, uh, that it's not it doesn't it's not at least apparently safer. Although well, it ran Zeke, into its own problems. Zeke SBF told you that that tether that tether was generally okay. So listen, I'm I'm gonna no, no offense, but I'm gonna take his word for that. No, no, no but why well, would you? Why would somebody? Why would somebody in a in a crypto brokerage account utilize tether as opposed to USDC when moving in between different coins? Why would like why would tether ever be the stable the stable coin of choice? Is it's there a be reason? All overseas money, is it, right? Is it more liquid? Or is it no? I mean, yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's people overseas. I don't honestly. I don't know what's stopping them from using other cryptocurrencies, but it's just become kind of like the default choice in a lot of. Everyone places. uses it because everyone uses it. And I, like, and I mean, I certainly saw the appeal in Cambodia. I went to a money exchange place in 
Phnom Penh, and I'm I'm sitting there with like uh, this Chinese guy with like a t-shirt and a big belly in front of me. Another Chinese guy walks in. He walks out with fifty grand under his under his arm, uh, in cash. You know, a big brick. And I just uh, I zapped this this guy a hundred and five tethers from my phone, and he gave me like a crisp hundred dollar bill, no questions asked. You know, didn't know my name or anything. And I was like, oh, finally I'm seeing crypto's pretty cool. It's being used can, in the uh, wild. You saw it used in the wild. Okay. Yeah, and and you know. Uh, uh, if you're in a country where there's really high inflation, they, it might be attractive to, as a way to hold U.S. dollars. Um, I could right. see that too. John, can we throw up these charts to tether while I while I give a uh, uh, iron? I don't know if irony is the right word here, but so this is this is tether. It's got about eighty billion dollars in assets, and it DV it cracked a little bit from the dollar. Uh, next chart, please. Uh, I think it got, but 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 not really, not as much as you would expect. Certainly, when there was there was a ton of smoke surrounding this thing. And for reasons, you know, maybe it, maybe it really, there really is eighty billion dollars. Look at what this thing. Look what this thing has survived. Other yeah, than May, yeah. other than May of twenty twenty two, it's a dollar. Like so, you can't say it's not. So Zeke referred to it as I think a chart off, please. Maybe a financial cockroach. But here's here's a quote from you. I couldn't believe it. Even as crypto company after crypto company failed, Tether survived. It was more than a little frustrating. Back in twenty twenty one, I could have picked a company to investigate by tossing a dart. At a wall full of crypto logos, and whichever one I'd hit would have probably blown up by now. Instead, I'd spent more than a year investigating one of the few that hasn't. So, have you changed your mind at all that maybe there's just no there there? So, let's say, like, imagine there had been a hole at Tether of like a few billion dollars. Well, now the situation's changed. They whatever assets they have, they say they've invested them in U.S. Treasuries. Um, it's been reported that actually Cantor Fitzgerald is holding a lot of those Treasuries for them, and Treasuries now pay five percent. So Tether's got, a, they say they got eighty billion dollars. They can throw that now throws off four billion dollars a year. So right, they don't need Chinese hole, commercial paper. No, they they're can, done with that. Yeah, they don't need and it like, anymore. It doesn't matter. So, and it's a tiny operation that is now one of the most profitable companies in the world. Their quarterly profits are higher than Nike's. Giancarlo, the plastic surgeon's a billionaire. And so I'm not saying that there was, but even if there was a couple billion dollar hole, they could earn their way out of it by now. So yeah. unless there was some like really, really massive fraud, which would be then uh, they, they could be in the clear. Now, I would say though that um, I'm definitely saving room in the paperback for like an epilogue. Cause I don't think that this situation Story's is really not sustainable. Over yet. Yeah. I just, I can't see them become, you know, displacing JP Morgan or become, or that the U S government will let there be this sort of unregulated quasi bank that allows. Well, Zeke, just, to, Zeke, yeah. just to, just to explain to people that don't do any crypto stuff at all. The purpose of tether is so that you're not converting back to actual dollars and you're not trying to constantly move money from the crypto ecosystem back to traditional finance, then back to crypto. So people who are moving between various crypto things are not moving into dollars in between. It's too cumbersome and it's like almost it's anti-crypto yeah, to do that. That is the, the role it's, of it's, Tether. It's dollars on the blockchain. 
That's right. Yes. Okay. And that's why it's important. That's why it exists. That's why it has 80 billion in it. Nobody's investing in it to make money because it pays no yield and it doesn't go up in price. It's 100% risk. So the only reason you use it is because it's a utility. Yeah. And now Tether, like if you were holding your money in Tether, you could switch it to your Apple wallet, get 4%. So you have to really like Tether to keep it there and earn zero interest. Um, but it was a really important way for people to get real money into the crypto world because some of these exchanges had trouble accepting payments. They had no way for people to send them money. And instead, they'd say, hey, go to Tether, send Tether your money. They'll give you these Tether tokens. Take those to my casino, gamble with them, and you can go back the opposite way when it's time to cash out. Okay, Sam Bankman-Fried, innocent? Uh, no. Tell us, tell <laughs> without giving away everything that you have in the book, give us like give us some shit. What what was going on there just before the cops showed up? Why does why uh, do they like why do they like you? Why did they why did they trust you or why did they like you enough to talk to you? It's Jewish. Uh, is that is that that's all it is? I mean, okay. Well, so I I gotta admit, like I went down there when things were going great, right? And I wrote yeah. a story about him, and my the first story was. The, the thesis of the story was like at the end of the first section, I say, hey, this guy said that he only wanted to get rich so that he'd give it all away. Will yeah. he really do that? The altruism will, stuff. Yeah. Right. Will he be altruistic in the end because he hasn't given it away yet? Or yeah. will this pursuit of wealth and power corrupt him? I wasn't like I should have been there. I was there in time to be like, hey, this is a big fraud. But I didn't know that. I didn't write that. Dude, so, nobody nobody knew that. Nobody was writing that. He had every stamp of approval you could have in this industry. I've been, I'm, I'm around 25 years. I have never seen an entrepreneur in this space, in this industry, traditional or crypto or whatever, with as much universal approval as as, uh, as Sam Bankman Fried had for like a couple of years. He really had yeah. it. There was not there but, was nobody nobody was like fing digging. They just, we just accepted. Yeah. Oh, this guy made this guy made it. Yeah, but that's why when I when things were looking bad, his exchange had collapsed. Eight billion dollars were missing. It looked like there was a massive fraud. I was like, "Hey, man, can I come down and interview in the Bahamas?" I mean, he's probably thinking, "Hey, this guy came down one time and I was running a massive fraud, and he wrote a nice story. Yeah, maybe he'll do it again." Zeke's, Zeke's gonna right. Zeke's gonna give me the old uh, the old rub, Bloomberg rubber stamp. Okay, so, so yeah. Zeke, there's there's a lot in the book. We don't want to spoil everything that we didn't get to, uh, like you buying a a, a board. I'm sorry, a mutant ape, um, and tons of good stories. But I, I do want to end this this talk on a somewhat positive note. A lot of the book was not about the why behind Bitcoin, why it exists, the troubles with the current financial infrastructure. It was about the characters and Tether primarily, and it was wildly entertaining. And you wrote a great book, and I would encourage everyone listening to read it. But um, there were some stories this week that caught my eye that I wanted to get your take on. One was, uh, so, so USDC, like one of the things that attracts people about this, like not the scammers, but the legitimate things is that sending money internationally, I don't know what the rake is. It could be, I'm making this up. Is it 6%? Is it 8%? It could be a fortune to like wire West, money. Western Union, it's it, a lot. It's, it's ridiculous. It's lot. So with, with these, with these stable coins, you could send money instantly. There's effectively, the fees are very, very low, if any. So, uh, Visa. This is a headline. Visa to send stablecoin USDC over Solana to help pay merchants in crypto. 
JP Morgan unveils blockchain-based token for faster payments. Just before we started, there was one from Citi. Uh, Citigroup has launched a digital token and private blockchain system. Do you think that maybe in a twist of irony that the traditional financial system will slowly or maybe not so slowly migrate uh, onto the rails of the blockchain? Like, is this is there going to be anything good that comes out of out of crypto? I I do think that. Okay, I, first I, I'm not. I don't want to be the one to hedge. I think that's unlikely. Like honestly, uh, I think I've been hearing these headlines for years since the 2017 boom, and it. I've had all sorts of meetings with people who said things like this, and it hasn't happened. And so I, like, it's sort of like that mountain of bullshit thing uh, that we were talking about. It's like these each of these headlines. I can't tell you that there's nothing there. It would take a really long time to investigate. But like, if I was a gambling guy, I would bet that nothing comes of any of those things. Um, that said, I think if there is anything that comes out of crypto, it will be behind the scenes. It won't involve, we won't even know about it. It's not going to affect our lives and it's not going to mean that we start using that. It might not even result in like Solana tokens being valuable or us, uh, or these companies being good investments. If there's some use of the technology, it could be like some sort of back office thing that doesn't really affect us. People were saying in 2017, like there's a universe in which blockchain gets adopted as this like ledger system that's just more efficient uh, than centralization, but a coin doesn't necessarily have to go up. The Andreessen people pushed against that. They said, no, you don't understand. If blockchain gets adopted at scale, there's going to be so much money running through all these systems that the coin is going to have to go up in price just to accommodate the dollar figures of commerce. So that was like the intellectual reason why number go up because of this uh, like adoption at scale. But it sounds like you don't you you don't fully buy into the the premise. What you're saying is true and they would have to invent some sort of use case that's going to bring in the mainstream and what like, I saw like from commercial. two years yeah, yeah. yeah, two years going down this rabbit hole, I didn't see anything that would get my mom to open a crypto wallet. And you saw that you said show that other headline earlier. Mark Cuban lost a million bucks. I'm not on Twitter. What, like, so uh, what ha what happened with this? I didn't so read the article. What happened? Does it okay. matter? He 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 has used one of the most popular crypto wallets, MetaMask. He clicked the long the wrong link, and like MetaMask is a great you can send USDC real fast with that, which is cool. But he like clicked the the wrong link, and his million bucks is gone. And you know yeah. whatever he doesn't care, but. Personally, why I did he come? Did he come out and like complain about MetaMask? Did he want to see the manager? I uh, yeah, he must have been. He must have been. Uh, uh, dude, worry about worry about building around Luca before uh, <laughs> before he pops his Achilles. Uh, what what else happened today? Anything anything else worth getting <laughs> into while we have today? Zeke? <laughs> uh, what else blew up today, yeah. dude? Let me ask you a question, Zeke. What what's like the number one thing that people reading the book? Will come away. Uh, will come away with it that maybe they didn't go go into reading the book with. Like, what's what's something that people like? What's the reason people? There's a bunch of books on crypto. Um, I'm definitely reading yours because you're my man. But like, why should the public choose to spend time with with you on this topic? So, all right, we maybe you're getting at like the elephant in the room, which is Michael Lewis, who's also writing a book about crypto. Um, and I was a Maybe little, I'm I was not. a little worried. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I was a little worried about that when I set out. But I'm yeah. telling you that 
I now I I read my own book once and I'm like, you know what? This book rules. Nobody's gonna write a better book about crypto. It's really funny. It. It's like a great experience to read it. And like, don't wait for the movie. Read it now. You're gonna love it. Um, and that's why. It, that's why. It is yeah, funny. So, I can not, you, not to spoil, Good but we were, we were on the airplane. And <laughs> I, I, I showed this to Josh. First, first chap, first sentence of the book. I'm not going to lie. Sam Bankman-Fried told me this was a lie. Yeah. Zeke, well done. You, have, man. A, this is you awesome. have a great. You have like a very droll sense of humor. <laughs> you're you're funny. You have a funny way of talking about things, and and I think people are going to enjoy the book. So all right, so everybody, go out and get your copy of Number Go Up by Zeke Fox. Inside Congrats, Crypto's wild rise and staggering fall. And uh, Zeke, we want to wish you the best of luck. We hope people buy the book. We hope they make it into a film. Uh, we hope somebody very handsome plays you wandering around Cambodia. And uh, <laughs> and thanks again for being part of the show. Where can people follow you on social media? You're on you're on uh, Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Zeke Fox, F-A-U-X. Uh, yeah, so check me out there. All right, my man. Congratulations. Everybody hit that like button. Leave comments. Leave ratings. Leave reviews. Read Zeke's book. We'll see you soon. Everybody. Okay. Welcome to What Are Your Thoughts? My name is Downtown Josh Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Batnick. Michael, say hello to the folks. Hello, hello. All right. I want to say a quick hello to some people that are joining us live tonight. We love, we love that you guys are here for the live. Roger is here. John Carlos, Sean, Rachel, what's up? Dave Wilson is here. Uh, Cliff is here, of course. Jay Luther, of course. All the regulars are in the house tonight. We appreciate you guys. Some new faces and names as well. Thanks so much for joining us. We do the show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Before we get into what we want to talk about today, uh, Michael would like to tell you a little bit about tonight's sponsor. A little company called Charts. Maybe you've heard of them. I use them every day. They've got a new exciting tool for advisors called Proposals, which displays beautifully like mm. a before and after, you're in this portfolio, we want to get you in this portfolio. It shows uh, you the differences as you're presenting a portfolio to a client, you can see what you're offering that they don't currently have in their existing portfolio. This is game important. Game changer. Yeah. Uh, and our chief operating officer, Nick Majuli, is doing a webinar with them on 922. So if you want to see that handsome devil talk about what Ycharts is up to with their proposal tool, hit the, hit the show for the, uh, the link for the notes, the show for the notes, the link for the show. You know what I'm trying to say. And Nick Majuli is low-key, an absolute technology gangster. So if you're going to watch mm. anybody demo the Charts product, that's the guy. That's the guy. All right. Uh, I feel like we missed the show last what, week, are right? You're starting off with a... <sighs> no, you know, I, I missed the show last week. I'm trying to remember like I, how we started the show because we I, did this in California. I had things to say, but didn't get a chance to, so we're going to say it today. All right. All right, Josh. First question on everybody's mind, where's the recession? Coming any where's minute. Where's the recession? Can't you feel it? All right. Can you feel I, it coming in the air tonight? Did you see, uh, wait, did you see the new Chris Stapleton Snoop Dogg rendition of come, uh, In the Air Tonight, the Phil Collins song for, um, I think it was for Monday Night Football. I no. think they, pre they premiered it last night. It's like Chris Stapleton covering Phil Collins in the air tonight. 
They got the drummer. I think she's the drummer from Lenny Kravitz's band. And then Snoop comes out hmm. and Snoop drops a verse over uh, over Chris's guitar playing. And it's, you know who else covered last night? Pretty fire. Me with the Saints and the and the Steelers. No big deal. Okay, so this well has done. been oh this both is, game both games. Well done. I money lined and I teased. I don't like hit. too. I don't like too Monday Monday night football games. It's too much. It's it's like it's too much. Lot. It's a lot. It's too much. All right. All right. Um. So this is we've 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 been experiencing a historic non unprecedented rate hiking cycle. What was that? A, a historic non recession. It's one for the one for the record books. Uh, yeah. All right, turn on, please. Let's get it started. All right. So the black line is where we are today. For those of you who are listening, I'm showing a chart from the Wall Street Journal, uh, showing it's showing all the interest rate hiking cycles going back to 1988, and some the black line is is this one that started in in 22. Some lasted longer than the one that we're currently in. We're 18 months into this thing, but none of them. Yeah, have been as extreme in terms of the amount of tightening. So we raised 525 basis points. And not only did we do that, but we did it coming off zero. And so this was supposed to do some very obvious things. Slow down the economy. It's definitely hurt the housing market, but it hasn't really, and it, it hurt some technology stocks, hurt their valuations, but it hasn't really impacted the overall economy. You could make, say whatever you want, but the bottom line is the unemployment rate is still 3.5%, okay? So it hasn't done what they thought it would do, what I think most market observers, market participants, economists, strategists, what everybody thought it would do, which is lead to a recession. And maybe it's coming, but it's not here yet. So there's this really great chart from Deutsche Bank. It's so great that I have no idea what it's saying, but I get the gist. I get the gist. I'll, I'll explain it. Pop okay, it. fine. Chart, please. Chart on, please. Let's hear it, smarty pants. <laughs> recession versus leading indicators. Nearly all leading indicators suggest the U.S. should have Already oh, dude, entered I could recession. Two. I could read two. I could read in two. In fact, it should have entered one long ago, back in September, October last year. We had a recession in Silicon Valley. We had it. We had a stock market crash in NASDAQ, and we had a Silicon Valley recession. Next question. Sir? It sir? ended with the blow up of Silicon Valley Bank. All right. All right. I'm telling Listen, you, we had one. Chart off, please. I got to see this asshole. You don't know what this chart means any more than I do. No, but this is what I do. I, sir, I'm a television star. Here's sir, how this works. Don't, they ask a question. Sir triple sir. You can't read the chart. You don't know what it means. I, I don't, don't know what it means. I don't need to. They ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I say the thing that I wanted to say anyway, and then it's a commercial. Who taught you that? Who and no one that? even realizes it. Who taught it? you that? Give back respect. Give back respect. Okay. But this is how I do. So as Throw the we chart say, out. As I we said saying, better. the chart is showing all of the chart back on, please. The chart is showing all of the leading economic indicators. So core capex, ISM, University of Michigan consumer expectations, margins, like all, all of them. And again, I don't know what this chart is showing, but I know what, what it's is saying. Blue and what is the blue and what is the I yellow? Don't know. What it's a those standard deviation. Mean? What is that, a sigma? I don't know. But the, the point <laughs> is this. The point is this. Nearly, nearly all leading indicators suggest that the U.S. should have already entered a recession. In fact, it should have entered one long ago back in September or October. So hold, hold, why, hold on, hold on. What are you doing? What the hell are you doing? I, Josh is I had to off screen. I had to pick up that Sigma you just dropped. Uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, listen, I found something interesting. I found a little tidbit of a nugget in uh, Nick Timoreo wrote an article why a soft landing could prove elusive. Okay. And this, this, uh, this is a face blower right here. Did you know where soft landing came from? Like the term? Yeah. No. 
1969 moon landing propelled the soft landing expression into the economic lingo in the early 1970s. The Nixon administration officials sought to conquer high inflation without triggering a severe downturn. How about that? So like they used space te uh, terminology to, it was as a like soft, a metaphor for the, okay. It was a soft landing on the moon. So why do you think we haven't seen a recession? And don't tell me because unemployment is low. Like why hasn't there been layoffs? Why no, has Why can't we, but why can't I tell? All right, so here, here it is. When they teach this at business school, I wouldn't know. I've never been to business school. My guess is what they'll have to teach is, and in 2002, we learned that the economy was a lot less sensitive to overnight rates than we once thought. Like that will be the less, that, that'll be the takeaway from this. But right? I think that's the wrong takeaway. Mm. So you, you, so the reason, I think the reason, I think the economy is sensitive to overnight rates. However, during the pandemic, all of these companies gorged on and consumers and consumers and consumers yes. and consumers on record cheap debt. And so remember, actually remember we said, how many times did we say that if there's a recession, the consumer and the corporation have never been better posi positioned or better prepared to go into yes, it. Yes, but we shouldn't have said that. Sheets. We shouldn't have said that. Because and, and what we should have said was the, they're so prepared that it will stave off of you recession. You can't have it. That's right. Exactly. So that you was my takeaway. That was the interesting takeaway. Chart on please from Renaissance macro research. We use volatility, the VIX, as a, as a liquidity indicator. It's amazing that we're testing multi-year lows this deep in the tightening cycle. Hell yeah, it is. Wait, VIX as a liquidity? Yeah. Yeah. Why are we at, why are we at a, a low teens VIX? It's nuts. Like given, given everything the Fed has thrown at this market and all the fiscal stuff that's wound down, it just, they did so much stimulus and so much refinancing activity that it just made overnight rates not matter. Yeah. Like they will matter. They do they, matter, but they didn't matter this time for they the reasons don't that we matter discussed. To, right. They don't matter to the degree that they could throw us into a recession. If you're already if you're already taken care of with debt, it doesn't matter what the cost of money is. Now it does matter, but it doesn't matter for this period of time. So I posited a few weeks ago with Ben that there will be rolling recessions. And maybe the economy can stave off a recession. Maybe it can't, but maybe it can. So we already had it. Works. We're in it in housing for sure. We already had it in technology. We had it in freight. So, for example, Connor Sen tweeted, uh, um, uh, "Hollywood, yes, full on recession. If you uh, if you if you rent costumes to Hollywood productions right now, your thumb is up your ass. You're doing oh, literally nothing. Uh, office real estate, obviously, full blown." Right, yeah. office furniture, full blown. Okay, yeah. so uh, the president of J.B. Hunt said that the freight recession might be over. Quote: So I've talked about us being in a freight recession now for several quarters. I might change that slightly to say that we're coming out of a freight recession. That's interesting. Connorson retweeted and said, echoing Walmart's cautious optimism this week, and Amazon closed today at a 52-week high. Is Walmart at a 52-week high? Close. Uh, it's really, close, it's, right? cl it's pretty close. But Amazon last week hit a hit a 52-week high. And most of that business, most of the revenue of that business is directly related to the consumer. AWS is like 17% of revenue or something. So, you know, the Amazon and Walmart are telling you that we, th there's still no sign, you know, wor worth talking about. Um, I thought this was interesting. 
I think this is like the biggest mystery on Wall Street. I asked the guy, so last week at Future Proof, I went to this uh, really elite private party that you didn't get invited to, where Joe and Tracy were interviewing the new guy taking over as CIO at Oak Tree, like the real Howard Marks, like the guy that's like managing the money. And I forget his name, but it's on their podcast. You can oh, yeah? Who else it. was at this party? Um, Me. Matt Mids, I don't know. Like the people that really were important were there. Uh, Joe and Tracy interviewed him and he's a credit guy because it's Oak Tree. And I didn't stay because I went to a different party. But how exclusive gist- was that one? Was that the super exclusive one? Like super, the super exclusive one? So I asked him before, before he, so they did a live podcast there. It was on the roof of like the Hilton or something or the roof of the Hyatt or something. Anyway, uh, Pasea. So they asked him, Whatever they asked him, but I like butted in before they went on stage. And I was like, why aren't credit spreads moving? Like, why won't HYG or JNK, like, why is there absolutely no sign that there's any impact after all these rate hikes? And he's like, I honestly don't know. And he is, again, at Oak Tree. Like, he, they literally eat, sleep, and breathe credit. And so this is, I think, the biggest mystery on Wall Street. Um, This is a tweet somebody sent me to get my, like, what do you think, Josh? I don't really know, but I thought this was the the right question. This is David Deerking. Do you know who this is? Mm -mm. He's a Street.com reporter or Street.com columnist, something. Of all the things that baffle me about this market, this might be the biggest one. How in the world are high yield spreads going down right now? Consumers are running out of money to spend, debatable. Consumer credit is through the roof. Defaults are rising. Bankruptcies are rising. We've got de facto recession in Europe. China is imploding. Student loan payments just restarted. Yet investors are demanding less return for low quality bonds. I don't get this at all. This looks like a setup for the end result gets really ugly. And then it's a chart of the ICE B of A US high yield index option adjusted spread. So this would be, I guess, the the yield above the comparable uh, treasure, comparable maturity treasury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it is at three spot seven, eight. So you're, you're getting like three and change percentage points above the comparable treasury for the high yield index of bonds. Well, what he's asking is basically where's the recession? It's the same thing. But well, that's why I, I bundled it in here. But he's yeah. more like, but this is like more than recession. This is almost like market pricing. Like, is the market not responding to any negative information whatsoever with respect to um, consumer credit or rising bankruptcies or default? So I have a few answers to this, and I wanted to see what your thoughts are. My first answer is everyone's working. I don't think you could see spreads blow out with unemployment at three and a half percent. It's just like, it's hard for me to understand why they would. They, and there might be a, 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 an uptick in bankruptcies and defaults, but they are not like, quote unquote, skyrocketing. They are not even outside of the realm of normal. John, and, put the chart on. We've got a bankruptcy chart. Keep talking. Can we, can we do it? Like, does he, does he know where to find it? Okay. Next one, please. Boom. Yeah, all right. So, like, go back to the year 2000. We're at the low end of low. I mean, it's off zero, but, like, come on. There's nothing Fine, fine. All right, so I said that. The second thing, put my other thing back on. Uh, put the tweet back up. If you look 
So I'm not a credit guy, but if you look at what makes up the index that he's referencing here with his chart, the B of A uh, U.S. High Yield Index, um, I think 24% of it is consumer cyclical fine, but 11% is energy. And typically in the early stages of a recession, um, you might see some like nervousness around commodity-related companies. Um, energy, they've transformed their balance sheets over the last year or two. And crude oil hit a 10-month high today. So like you're not going to see it in the usual suspects in the high-yield index. You're, not, you're just not going to have energy companies have bond prices that are, that are struggling. So that's why you're not seeing it blow out there. Um, so the, the combination of everyone's working, energy bonds are 11% of this industry, oil is fine. But Josh, Usually, 30, 30, 35% of this is consumer. I said that. Consumer And then another 15%. Another 15% is corporate communications. These. Okay. Yeah. So that, okay, fine. So nobody, listen, what's the last thing people get rid of in a recession? Cell Their phone. cell phone. Netflix, last, yeah. literally last. Take my car first. So you won't see it there. You won't see it in, in energy. So take communications, take energy, put those to the side. Consumer cyclical. So I don't know. I don't know specifically what companies make up high yield consumer cyclical debt. I'm guessing it's not Walmart and Costco and Amazon. No. Um, but you know, that's maybe that's where the surprise is, but that's not the whole index. So that's, that's my take. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you can get a spike in spreads if there's like an event. Yeah. But absent a real it's probably recession. how this ends. It's probably yeah. how this ends. To be honest, yeah, probably, probably. I'm, yeah, but absent that, you're not going to see spreads blow out. Uh, there's got to be a, there's got to be a catalyst. Something right. Something has to like materially change the way people are behaving. That so, and, so, and rates weren't enough. So next chart, John, the the performance one of the of the leveraged loans versus investment grade bonds. This is Wall Street Journal today. So the difference between leveraged loans and other bonds is duration. These are floating rates. It's all credit risk, and credit is fine. And this is part it- of the biggest mystery on the street. So rising interest rates are boosting risky corporate loan returns instead of hurting them. This is that, one of those weird confound- things. That is confounding. Okay, so let me just read this real quick. It is one of the biggest surprises on Wall Street, the outside performance of risky corporate loans. That's a leverage loan. Since the start of last year through Friday, loans backed by companies including PetSmart and Uber – in the Morningstar LSTA US Leverage Loan Index, delivered a return of 9.3%, buoyed by higher interest rates in a resilient economy. Investment grade bonds lost 13% in that time. That's incredible. Yeah, well, because there's a lot of interest rate sensitivity. Last year, and the, S- down- and the S&P is down about 4%. So this is starting from January 2022. Investment grade bonds down 13, S&P stocks down 4%. This shit is up 9%, and it's another one of these things that people are like, wait, what the fuck? I think, like, junk, why, bonds why is outperform, I think junk bonds outperform treasuries. They did last year. Because it's a tiny market compar- comparably. No, it's because there's, dura- there's not as much duration risk. So not all. as much duration risk. All right, let's move on to the next time. Before you do, I just want to say that I, you're trying to flex on me. I party with the people. Just saying. I party with the people. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't stay at that party either. Not a flex. All right, go ahead. You could have, no, you yeah. could have gone. No, but you literally could have gone there. All right, uh, oil prices. Uh, WTI. This was as of this morning. Up WTF. 1%. Yeah. WTI crude up one percent to ninety two. Nat gas up four percent to two eighty four. U.S. crude making ten month highs. 
Um, U.S. oil output continues to fall three months in a row, according to the EIA. This is the bull market right now. The stocks don't go up every day with oil, but these stocks look better since, uh, let's say, the end of July than anything else I see in front of me. And uh, here, Sean put this in my notes today. Energy stocks still aren't overbought. What's with the yellow? Wait, yellow what? In August. I think that was someone's birthday. Uh, No, that was the bottom. So um, here. Hashtag technicals. 0% 0% of the XLE has an RSI above 70. Only 4% of XLE components are at 50-day highs. This is a weird which chart. Is, which is below the 11%. What is this? Percentage of XLE stocks advancing for five. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of saying that it's not carried away yet. So what are your thoughts? On which part specifically? Um, bull market continues. Would you get in the way of this? Would the, you fade the bull this? Market, I wouldn't. No, I own energy. Yeah. I bought uh, IEO. Um, put, up, put up crude oil. I think this is what, definitely, listen, I don't know shit about uh, energy, but what this happen, is not a hot What day. happens next? Just purely on technicals, what happens next? I show you this chart. It's, yeah, it's going higher. It's going higher. Is this the big risk for inflation reaccelerating? I'm and, so glad you asked. And softening consumer demand? Wait, we have a couple more charts and then we're going to answer that question. Because gas prices, I know WTI is not necessarily gas price, but they're correlated. That's what that's Gasoline. what messes with people's brains. Yeah, no shit. Um, give me natural gas real quick, John. Thank you. Uh, you can see this is a breakout, possibly in the making. Although there have been several failed breaks above three, and then let's see. I want to buy this that. Is, this is IE. Well, you technically own it. You own IEO, right? So yeah, these but I are all buy nat- like UNG. Okay. So IEO and XLE side by side, you see these are effectively the same trade. They bottomed sometime in um, March of this year during the banking crisis. They double bottomed at the end of June, and they are the best show in town really since the end of July versus the rest of the stock market. Um, The question that you're asking, when will higher prices for oil and or prices at the pump affect the economy. November. And I, I'm glad you asked. Second There's week of November. Some divergence of opinion here. Uh, but I agree with you. This could become the next risk that people are focused on. We've seen it before. Edyard Denny just raised the odds of a recession before the end of 2024. And he cited specifically higher oil prices and widening deficits. Um, the 30% <clears throat> spike in oil since late June has given him reason to reassess. Uh, quote, today, in response to several new developments, we are raising the odds of a recession before the end of next year from 15 to 25%. Okay. Um, Nick Colas, who is a frequent guest on the show, has a different point of view. Nick doesn't think that a rally in crude matters until it doubles, which I, th- I found really interesting. Yeah. So let me wow. break this down for you. Crude is at over 90 a barrel for the first time since November 2022. Nick is saying oil price spikes matter much more than modestly rising prices. That's what we've had this year, modestly rising prices. We haven't had a spike. He says household income is fairly fixed in the near term. So spiking oil and gas prices force people to quickly cut back on other spending categories. The greater the increase, the more likely the recession eventually unfolds. And he has a chart. I'll, not, I'll narrate this. 
The following chart shows the year-over-year change in WTI crude prices from 1987 to 2019. As noted, oil prices essentially doubled or more in September 1990, February 2000, and June 2008. Um, One was because of the invasion of Iraq. The latter two were super cycle peaks. Regardless, the U.S. economy was either in recession when oil prices doubled or would shortly be in one. So this is a causation correlation thing that we can argue, but- um, the good news is the magic number, according to Nick, for when oil prices would double um, would be like $140 a barrel, meaning most of the summer we sat at like $70 before it took off. So we are nowhere near 140 and we're working our way up slowly. So he doesn't view this as an imminent like thing that could cause a recession. That's a good chart. Uh, and that guy knows. Something changes. And Nick knows his shit. The CEO of Chevron just came out and said, we're going to $100 a barrel, which I guess is not a bold call from 93. Um, I think that'll change psychology a little bit, though. What do you think? I think Nick's right. I think that the the speed is at least as important as the uh, the level. By the way, um, Jamie Catherwood said, the comp, he, he slacked me the other day, the compound you did with Data Trek guy was unreal. Genuinely yeah. re- reignited my interest in finance podcast. Casually threw it out, threw it on at like midnight last night, thinking I'd watch for five minutes, and then I watched it all. Yeah, Nick um, is, dude, Nick is the man. I said, I said to Jamie, he's absurd, and no, I will not make an introduction. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick is the Nick is Nick is absurdly great. Uh, we want to be in the Nick Collis business. Anyway, oh, I, wait, I thought one, that one was more chart, one more chart, one more chart. Chart on, please. Look at this one. So this is from Bloomberg, the driver of oil prices. And this is not, it's more of a demand thing, which is interesting than a supply thing. So Ooh. this is not the economy softening. Yeah. Huh. Right? Yeah, not yet. It's not, it's definitely not here. All right, Josh, anything else before we move on? Uh, no, let's go. Okay. Uh, Warren Pies. Another phenomenal macro dude, bro, dude. I just wish it was war and peace. It just, it, <laughs> I know it's pronounced pies, but can you imagine if it was war and peace? <laughs> How fucking great would that be? So right. war and pies at 314 research uh, produces among the best research. Is it yeah, among like, or amongst? We like, we like that guy. Um, Love that among, guy. Amongst. Either way, either way. All right, try it on, please. So here's what we're looking at. We're looking at earnings for Q2, beats and misses, and he charts stocks that beat estimates versus stocks that missed estimates. And this is something that we spoke about a lot going to earnings season was we were really curious to see the reaction because the stocks that had been beat up really badly, i.e., you know, crappy businesses that have been missing earnings, had rallied viciously yeah. going into earnings. So it's not a tremendous surprise that a lot of that rally was taken back after they reported earnings. But what is interesting and notable is that not only did stocks that miss get punished, so too did stocks that beat. Oh. Oh. So we're back to good news is good, bad news is bad, and- Right? Is that the takeaway? Now, I, there? I wouldn't necessarily overthink it. it. It's it's a really pretty chart. I just think that the stock market got ahead of itself is really all there is to it. And now, you know, we're digesting the earnings and sort of trotting along. Yeah, and you really don't have anything like you have a Fed meeting this week that I think ninety. I'm not expecting. 
99% chance of no hike. Yeah, maybe I don't think I don't think the markets I don't think the market's expecting much. Maybe they'll shock one. us, but like what and then you don't have earnings season for a while. So we're like in this no man's land period basically. Yeah, what is what is the next catalyst? And of course nobody knows, but pretty quiet right now. Uh yeah, the next catalyst is that they keep dropping these overvalued uh IPOs on, on our heads. We'll see how long before uh the stock market revolts. So let's uh let's move to arms IPO. What'd you think about the way this thing has come and, and gone so far? So went public uh, last week, seemed to have been really well received, closed up 25% on the first day. They priced it at 51, it opened at 63 and a half, and straight down ever no. since. No, 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 It's gone sideways the last few days. I think this is a, I think this is a definite win. The market absorbed all of this. I agree. It's a win. It's yeah. only down ten percent, but it's still above its IPO price. Yeah, it's a win. It's fifty. It closed at fifty-five today. Yeah, and it was fifty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. It's just saw. If you bought it the first, if you bought it the first day, you kind of feel like a dick. But other than that, like it's it's not it's not terrible. Not as it's bad a, as if you bought Instacart at the opening tick. It's down like twenty something percent since then. Well, well, I got to tell you, we were all over that. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, anyway, the arm. So the arm thing. They kind of fed into like the AI hype. It's not really an AI company. I guess like any chip company could say there's more demand for our chips because of the AI revolution. But this is not like we want to do more AI stuff. Let's buy more chips from ARM. It's like cell phone chips. Like everyone needs to calm down. I think so uh, they, I but they, ask. they benefited from that. I think uh, NVIDIA is trading beautifully considering how much this stock is up year yeah. to date. Right, yeah. it's just like it's just digesting all these gains, not really giving much, much back. All right, Instacart uh, priced at thirty last night. It was the upper end of the range. It opened at forty-two. It had a fourteen billion dollar market cap when it started trading. Uh, where did it go out today? Where did it close today? Is that thirty-nine? Thirty? No, thirty-three something. Oh, thirty-three. No, so what, yeah, twenty percent off the highs. Intraday. So what? What was that chart we just had up? Stale. Right. So I, as my final trade on halftime report, I just said like sell Instacart. And all, I wasn't like trashing the company. I actually respect what they've been able to do. They did a hard pivot. First, they were being told, get as many users as you can. Don't worry about profitability. Then sometime in late 21, things started to blow up in the private markets. And the new mandate from venture investors was, no, we're just kidding. We want profits now or you'll never be able to go public. And they pulled it off. And they're in like, some of the worst parts of American business you could possibly be in. They have to recruit an army of gig workers and somehow have a margin in that. They have to deal with supermarkets, which themselves have like 1% profit margins. Yeah, it's tough. It's a dirty, grimy, ugly uh, business, and they found a way to earn money. So I give them a lot of credit. I just don't want to own the equity. Yeah, and but from the advertising, that's going to be the engine of growth. The ad, so I said, I made that point today. It's an ad business. Like all that shit they're doing, getting people to go to the supermarket for you, put on a tip, this and that. That's it's like almost, it's almost break even. Yeah. The real business is Pepsi comes in over the top and says, here's $300 million. Make sure our products become the number one search result on the app. And that's not a bad business. I don't think the stock is wildly overvalued. I'm not buying it. No, tomorrow. I think it's Okay. But I, I think it's no. I, so I think it's not growing that fast. 30% growth. And it's in a really tough business. I just, I feel like I own Uber. Why, why wouldn't I just buy more Uber if I wanted to be bullish on delivery? 
uh, you know what I mean? Like, or, or Amazon. Right. Like, why would, why do I also want to own this? They're all competing for the same customer. Uber also trading beautifully. Oh, well, Uber's to me, it's going, going much higher. Um, all right. So Instacart's not egregiously overvalued is the point. No. Uh, so they, uh, traded four times sales, which is in line with DoorDash 4.2. Uber is sub three times sales. And Goldman put out something, a guide to the new IPO market. Things have changed since the last IPO market, obviously. And uh, you want to run through some of these charts, Mike? Yeah, we've got we've got three three charts. Chart on, please. All right. Obviously, there's been a dearth of IPOs this year. Uh, there was effectively zero in 22, very few in 23, 15. But there's been some big ones. Uh, Birkenstock was big. We've got Instacart. We had uh, Arm. And the one on the right, the chart on the right is very interesting. I don't know what exactly is in here, but they've got a their their IPO issuance barometer and it goes uh, high to low. And they're basically showing whether or not the macro environment is conducive to more or less IPO activity. And of course, it crashed last year for reasons that are very apparent and it's, it's on the rise. So the market is ready for IPOs and it seems to be digesting uh, the big ones just fine for now. Can, can we linger on this chart on the left number of US IPOs? Yeah. Uh, 15 year to date. And last year it looks like they were 16. Is that the, right? Ish. Mm-hmm. That's like a really, I don't know what that's based on. That's like a mean? really, uh, oh, yes, this is does. IPOs raising Demand. more than 25. No, but it's all right. It's a certain size. Cause I know there were a lot more. They pulled out SPACs and they're only talking about deals raising more than 25 million, which is essentially Goldman's universe. Like there are IPOs raising five million dollars that they wouldn't touch. So from that standpoint, we've gone from two hundred and sixty-one of those types of deals two years ago to fifteen. But every year, sort year of IPO chart looks exactly the same, whether it's all of them or the total yeah. proceeds. They're just dry. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, next. Uh, this shows the percentage of IPOs reporting at least one quarter of positive net income. And it's showing from 20, 2001 to 2019. So all IPOs from 2001 to 2019, one quarter after their IPO, 41% of these companies were profitable. This is very important. Then four quarters later, 63%. And so these companies were getting profitable pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, the recent batch, on the other hand, so the 2020 and 2021 vintages- Still trash. 14% of them after the first quarter were profitable. Uh, it went up to 40%. Now it's at 52%. So much lower than average. And, still, still. And these companies have gotten destroyed. Next chart, please. So Goldman uh, produced the 25 largest IPOs, again, not SPACs, by market cap at the offering price. And holy moly, how many of them outperformed the Russell 3000 since they first started trading? Two. Two yeah. out of 25. This is hard. So th- these so, are, I mean, these are- Because there's these so are, many- it's Airbnb, Snowflake, DoorDash, Robinhood. These are these are big names. Toast, uh, and and only uh, Unity. Only two of them have outperformed. Uh, two companies I've never heard of. If Samsara, which is a software company, and PPD, which is a biotech. Because if you're buying the biggest ones, it's most likely you're buying the ones that are trading at the highest price to sales, and they could come out like Snowflake has had pretty damn good growth mm-hmm. since it's come public. Too rich, but. But it doesn't matter. It'll never match what the hype was. Right. This was a, this was a, like literally, this was cloud computing backed by Warren Buffett. Like, f- like, forget about it. The hype around that deal was so legendary 
that it was almost impossible for them to grow into that market cap, and they haven't. They still haven't. So it's uh, it's tough, but it's nice to see that there are deals coming back. I think we could both agree. Speaking uh, of deals, let's go to the up. Schwab deal. Chart on, please. This is from Barron's. Uh, Charles Schwab had a decline in its core net new assets the past two months. Uh, is, I'm not sure what to make of this. Um, where is the money? Where is the money going? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, Josh. Uh, the majority of these deals, and this is from their CFO, the majority of these deals, the de- these deal-related outflows have been attributable to, attributable to Ameritrade REA clients, including a select number of relationships that did not meet our criteria for an ongoing service relationship. So, so that's part of it, where uh, so net new assets totaled $4.9 billion, down from $43 billion a year earlier and $13 billion in July. So massive, massive drop. So wait, wait, wait. Char- chart off, please. The, C- so, the CFO said that this is like people that they this was smaller advisors that they're getting rid of. He said what you think he said. Uh, wow. That's a very nice way of saying that they're not servicing the advisors that are sub. Pick a number, 50 million. I don't know what I the number is. That, I bet it's like under 100. But that does not explain. That is a lot of, that is a huge gap. Where did the money go? Did these people go to interactive brokers like Pershing? No. It's a lot of money. There's no way. There's no way that amount of people up and went, hey, let's, because do you know how long it takes to set up a relationship like a Pershing? It's not an app. Right. Like if you're going to be doing custody as an advisor, that you probably need like 90 days to put that together. So did people set that up in advance and then wait for this to close and then pull money out? It's just like, I don't know anyone doing that. So here it is. Everyone. Schwab said net new assets totaled $4.9 billion last month, but- Excluding TD Ameritrade clients, it was $28 billion. That's a massive – that's a lot yeah. of money. Huh. And I don't think we'll Go, ever get to the uh, bottom of it. Goldman? No way. You could have had like two or three very large RIAs just completely cancel their relationship and, and move the whole thing. But that, I feel like that takes so long. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not like – that's not flipping a switch. You have repapering yeah. a thousand accounts. yeah. It's very strange. I don't really know the answer. It'll it'll come out. Uh, Car insurance is up 19% year over year. And this affects me acutely because, as you know, I have three drivers in my home now and three cars to insure. And what the hell? This is like – they're talking about sticky inflation. This is beyond sticky. This is like like abusive. This is gooey. What the hell is going on here? I thought cars were safer these days. (laughs) <laughs> do you have a do you have a theory behind what why 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 we have to live like this like ani- like the like animals it's a very simple theory but it's Go a ahead. theory nonetheless these people are being greedy and they're taking the opportunity to use inflation as an opportunity to raise prices i don't know what else it could have been okay. so this is why we need amazon auto insurance i've about had it with this bullshit I mean, do you agree so, with that very simple theory? What I don't know. It? Yeah, it's, it's did the it, most did, it, pl- did it get more expensive to insure cars on their no. end? No. No, it's it's the most plausible. What changed? That, what changed was they looked around. They said, hold on. Chipotle put through three price increases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll do it too. Right? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Chevy Tahoe is now a $100,000 car. Sure it is. Uh, you know what? Here's yeah. what car insurance costs. Yeah. But 19% one year. It's egregious. It, it's like, what it did, did is the gecko- Asking for more money for the commercials, like what, like what, what could possess them to think that's good business? 
but I guess they're getting away with it's it. It's great business. What are you are you canceling your car insurance? Okay, let me read this. Um, this is Axios. Put we have a chart of this. Oh, we did it already. We did the chart. Okay. Auto insurance prices for American consumers rising at their fastest pace in 40 years. And gasoline prices surged almost eleven percent in August alone. It's a bitch driving a car these days. Uh that's not Axios. I said that. Um the surprising size of checks insurers have been forced to write for auto policies is essentially an echo of the vehicle price surge that drove inflation in 2021 and 2022. Aha. So they're framing it as a catch up. The cars cost more. Guess what? The cost to insure them costs more. Do you buy that? I guess. Okay. Yeah. Tight labor markets jacked up Not the cost. Not only do I of- buy that, I'm embarrassed at my theory because that's much more reasonable. Okay. Uh, prices for auto parts are up thanks to inflation, raising the price of repairs, tight labor markets jacked up the cost of sending your car to the body shop, yeah, lack of right. lack of labor also delayed repairs, resulting in increased insurer spending on car rentals. Yeah, I wish you I wish you read that before I gave my dumb theory. Um, and the cost of payouts for injuries has been driven up by the inflation for healthcare services. So okay, so it's parts, it's labor. It's the, the cost of healthcare yep. and all those things feed into the price of health, uh, car insurance. I wish we could invest directly in car insurance without buying the insurance companies. Like I want to just trade. I want to just trade the average price. And I don't know if I want to fade a 19% annual spike. Um, but just generally speaking – the price of car insurance is rising faster than most investment options that we well, have access to. This is the shitty thing about rising prices. You think this is ever going down? Do the prices no, ever go they, down? They plateau for a little while. They don't go down. They never go down. You never get a call from your car insurance broker. Great news. Yeah. yeah. Hey, this year, down 19%. Yeah, never. It will never happen. Congratulations. All right. And, and then this is why you invest. Because these companies are really good at protecting their margins. They're really good at it. No doubt. All right. We're going to do Make the Case. Make then we it. Have a, then we have a mystery chart, and then we're going to roll out. Uh, are you following the UFC and WWE merger? Are you, fo- are you like? Do you know anything about what's I going mean, on I mean, I listened here? to Mark Shapiro was on uh, with Bill Simmons the other day. Uh, Mark Shapiro is a, is a force to be reckoned yeah, smart with. smart guy. All right. So let's start with um, Endeavor. EDR, John, the second chart. That's it. All right. Great job, dude. All right. So here's what this is. Ari Emanuel is the Hollywood super agent that Ari Gold on Entourage was based off of, played by Jeremy Piven. You following me so far? Okay. This is Endeavor is his holding company, and one of its biggest operating units is WME, which is William Morris- Endeavor. William Morris. Yeah. So William Morris, chart off. William Morris is like one of the most po- powerful Hollywood agencies. They rep like name a famous person. There's a 50-50 shot that Endeavor, uh, that WME reps them. Okay. They also have some other interesting businesses. They own the bull ri- riding uh, thing, which is not big with the Jews on Long Island. We don't know from that stuff, but that's a sport. They own the whole thing. Um, they also own ICM, which is like sports, like sports marketing, like getting athletes, uh, endorsements and shit. Like it's an agency business. They own that too. And then they, um, bid for WWE, 
which was for sale, and these guys won the bid. And Ari Emanuel and Shapiro and these guys went in there and did a presentation, and they were like, guys, here's all the shit that you are not doing that could make world wrestling so much bigger and more profitable. And after an extensive presentation, whatever, like uh, Vince McMahon looked at them and said, okay, brother, you know, like, like, we'll, we'll, okay. So that's how they want it. So here's what they did. Next chart, TKO. So this is called Endeavor Operating Company. It will change its name. TKO represents a merger of, um, a merger of WWE as well as like their whole uh, UFC business, which Endeavor also owned. They merged the two things. They're telling Wall Street they're going to find 50 to $100 million worth of synergies in terms of the expense of running these leagues. But now you can invest directly in fighting. Uh, TKO is like this huge thing now. And I think it's up there with every other professional sports league, whether it's the NFL or baseball or hockey, just in terms of like viewers around the world, how many events they put on 350 events a year. Unlike real sports, they actually, I shouldn't say real, unlike traditional sports leagues, there's no season. It's every day. There's something either UFC or wrestling going on uh, all seasons and it's global. And uh, I think these guys are going to make this work. So the way this shakes out is if you buy uh, Endeavor, the first chart I showed you, EDR, owns 51% of the stock in TKO, the votes. And World Wrestling ended up with 49%. I think Vince McMahon is like the executive chairman or something, and he has 16 for himself. So it's basically going to be like this huge collection of personalities. You got Dana White in there uh, representing UFC. You got Vince, who's in his 70s. You got Ari Emanuel, who just does not lose. And you got uh, Mark Shapiro. And they're going to make a run at turning this into a much, much bigger, more profitable global sports entity. And they might even be making other acquisitions. So I like it. Now, the question is, do you buy TKO, just the wrestling and fighting business, or do you buy Endeavor, which is the majority shareholder of that, plus all of those other businesses that may or may not be undervalued, like the talent agency, for example? So I'm going to make the case that you go either or. If one of them works, the other one will work. Um, if I were to buy one, I would probably buy EDR and just make the bet that the wrestling business will succeed, um, but also some of the other things they own are being like given away for free in terms of like the current valuation. Um, so that's, that's the pitch. I'm not in either of these stocks right now, but this just happened in the last week and I wanted to uh, shed a little bit of light on this for the viewers. You have any thoughts on, on the trade? Yeah, it's just interesting. We were talking about Instacart earlier. Would you rather own TKO at a sub $9 billion market cap or Instacart at 11? Now, I don't know how much debt TKO has, so I don't know what the apples to apples actual comparison is, but- uh, How about, how about they say they convert 61 cents of every dollar in revenue they bring in to cash flow? Like it's actually enormously profitable, shockingly profitable given how mature of a business you know, this wrestling shit's been around for 40 years. It's it's shocking how profitable this business is. Yeah, I think that's a good pitch. If this was a different market environment, this thing would be worth way more. 
I think it's going up. Do you see how well it did today? It looks good. Like, like apropos of nothing, I think it went up 5% today. People have not really discovered the stock. It's a TKO is not even trading under the, the name it's going to trade under eventually. They're not going to call it Endeavor Operating Co. for, you know, for much longer. Um, the here's the risk. Here's the risk. There are two upcoming events where they're going to redo their contracts. One for UFC, one for wrestling. The wrestling one matters the most. It's much bigger. They have a deal with NBC, uh, and then they have a deal with, I think, Fox. One is Raw, and one is whatever the other show. I'm not a, I don't watch this shit. So they, they are going to have to announce, here's what our next contract is. So the bet you have to make is that they're going to get a lot more money for the rights to these shows than they got last time. I think that's a safe bet, but that is a risk if they don't. All the right. second, the second risk is all those people I just mentioned are all crazy. Like Vince McMahon is legitimately crazy. Uh, Dana White is not a shrinking violet. They might all hate each other, and this whole thing might blow up. Um, if somebody says the wrong thing and the other one disagrees publicly, it could. That, like I feel like the risk here is personality, um, but I, I'd be willing to take that risk. I think uh, I think this stuff's gonna work. So, all right, you got a mystery chart? I do. So this is a stock that I happen to own. I'm underwater, about eight uh, percent. It's a it's a company. No, I don't want to. It's a company that uh, it's a it's a it's a product that I use. Product might be the wrong word. It's a service that I use. Let's put it that way. It's a service that I use. This stock has been under pressure. That's a 200 day moving average that it uh, bounced off today. We'll see. Tomorrow's another day. Uh, this is a product that you use. It's a, I, it, I said service. It's a service that I use. This has been under pressure, uh, primarily due to rising oil prices. So between this right, and my wait, energy I have, stocks, to, I have to pause. We have some I'm, really good guess. We have some I'm, really good guesses. I'm perfectly hedged. Go ahead. Uh, Patrick asked, is it shampoo? <laughs> LOL. Uh, Sean Graylish guessing Peloton. Mm -mm. Few, no, few come on, Sean. That's Peloton's not a bad the, guest. Peloton, no, Peloton it does not look like this. Oh, you're showing us the price too, 39. Okay. Uh, all right. I don't. Let, all right. Is it a subscription? When you say service, is it a subscription? Is it it's like entertainment? No, and they, it's it's high priced items. It's high. It's a high priced service, I should say. Mm. Not relative to its peers, but it's it's a high it's a high it's a high okay. cost. James uh, Sykes is asking, is it mudroom construction? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, listen to me. This 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 company is under pressure. The sector is under pressure from rising oil prices, which is mm. a huge input to their business. Huh? Come on, dude. What? I, I don't. How would I know? I don't know. How would I know? I give up. I I, I could lose. I I know you're. It's crazy. You never see me lose ever. I'm losing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> what is it? Uh, wait. One more. One more chart. One more chart. Next chart. Is it please. a jet ski? No, no, no. Same thing. John, next chart. Before the reveal, before the reveal. This is uh, the week. This is, uh, again, it's a 200 uh, day. It's, a it's, 40 an week. it's an airline. Thank you. Uh, it's not a service. It's a why service. Are you, why, why, are you, why are you bamboozling me? It's not a, it's not a fucking airline. good airline. I know, but like an airline, is not. Is it a service? Absolutely. Yeah, I guess it is. All right. Uh, Delta. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. I almost, I almost, given another second, I probably would have gotten it. Okay. Um, wait, it, this is under pressure from oil and probably from unrealistic comps that it will be very difficult for them to achieve in 2024. And people are already uh, pricing that in. It's very possible that 2023 is the best year that it has. 
yeah. uh, in the next two years. Very possible. Yeah. And that's not just Delta. That'll be everybody in the space. Very possible. So. But it's best in class. I love it. I use it. I'm sticking with it. All right. Great job on the mystery chart. Hey, everybody. Tonight is <laughs> tonight is Tuesday, which means tomorrow, Wednesday morning, uh, you are invited to an all-new episode of my favorite podcast, Animal Spirits, starring Michael and Ben. Uh, ben is doing a live Ask the Compound Thursday afternoon on YouTube. And then at the end of the week, boy, oh boy, do we have a very special guest on the Compound and Friends. You don't even know what's going on. Uh, I might get a haircut for that. I didn't tell you this. I might get a little trim tomorrow. Uh, I want to I look my best. So, all right. Hey, guys, thanks so much for I watching. I might grow a make mustache. Sure. Michael might grow some facial hair. You have two days. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Make sure to leave a review, a rating, whatever it is, depending on the platform. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Whether you're just getting started as an investor or you're managing a multi-million dollar portfolio, Ridholtz Wealth Management has the solution for you. It all starts with building the right financial plan. To speak with a certified financial planner today, visit RidholtzWealth.com. Don't forget to check us out at YouTube.com slash TheCompoundRWM. Make sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. If you love investing podcasts, Check out Michael and Ben every Wednesday morning on Animal Spirits. Thanks for listening. Ritholtz Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Ritholtz Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as and may not be used in connection with an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy or hold an interest in any security or an investment product. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk and possible launch of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Ritholtz Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.